Lagbo Imer is often around Parashas Behar, and sometimes even when on Parashas Behar we read the fourth parak of Perke Avos. And in that parak, there's an amazing Mishnah, a teaching from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi. And when we look at the connection between Lagbo Imer and Behar and that Mishnah and the teaching within that Mishnah, we discover the amazing greatness of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and how it expresses in his ability to harmonize two opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum, which is effectively what every one of us is meant to do all the time. We know that the Minag is that we read one chapter of each Shabbos between Pesach and Shavuos. Very often it occurs like this year that we land up that we read the fourth Perik of Perikavos and Parashas Behar. Because everything within Torah, even amongst the things that are only minhagim, are absolutely precise. There must then be a connection between the, the content of the fourth parak of Perkei Avos and the content of Parashas Behar. And then, furthermore, certain years, again like this year, like Boimer is in the week of Parashas Behar. We well know what the Shalak Kodesh used to say, that there's always a connection between whichever special date there is on the Jewish calendar and the parish of the week that is associated with that date. So move on, we could realize that there has to be a further connection between Lag Boimer and this parasha Behar. And naturally then there's a link between Lag Boimer and the fourth parak of Pirkei Ovis. Have a look in our Perek, Perek Dalad of Perkei And Mishnah 13 has a teaching of Rabbi Shem Bar Yochoi. And later on, we'll actually talk about why it's relevant that it's in Mishnah number Yud Gimel. What's the teaching? There are three major crowns that a Jewish person could wear. The crown of Torah learning, the crown of being a Kohen, or the crown of being part of the royal dynasty. And then he says, The crown of a good name, which as we'll learn is associated with doing my simtovim, supersedes all of them. This is obviously very relevant because Rabbi Shem Bar Yuchoy is the author of that Mishnah, and Lag Boimer is his Yeratite and the day that he said we should celebrate as a time of the, the consummation of his whole life. So yes, If you think about it, the reason behind why so many statements are Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which are all over the Gemara. Rabbi Shimon is mentioned in every chapter of Shas, even in the, so to speak, lesser known areas, which are areas that most people don't necessarily learn. Out of all of the statements, it turns out that which statement and teaching of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai do we learn in proximity to his Yorotzeit? This one. What's the significance of a Yorotzeit? All his Torah teaching, all his personal actions, all his work and service of Hashem that he had, did, that he had done, as we well know in the day of a Yorotzeit, that all comes to its absolute apex. And, and when that's happening, which is the teaching of Rabbi Shem that we all learn across the world? Well, must be because this particular teaching of Rabbi Shem represents the essence of what Rabbi Shem is all about. 
So now that we've said, there's obviously a link now between the teaching of Rabbi Shimon Bar and his Yorzat Lag Boimer. And we said that there's always a connection between the special dates and the parasha, which in this case is Bahar. So we have to assume then that this teaching of Rabbi Shimon Bar is not only linked to Lag Boimer, but it's also linked to something that is a centerpiece of Parashas Bahar. Now in order to understand what that is, let's have a look at Parashas Bahar because it seems to be a paradoxical parasha. There are two extremes represented in our parasha. The first part of the parasha is about how you observe Shemitah. That's what you do in Israel. When you're in Eretz Yisrael, it's a place where you follow a very settled way of living life. And it's a place where you follow the natural order of how you should behave. In fact, it's a place where reality, the nature, is so compelling that you might even ask the question, as the Torah describes, people are going to say, well, it's coming up to Shemitah, what are we going to eat? Because we rely on the natural order. And then people are not sure, how can we let our fields lie untouched for, seven, for the seventh year? And we're still going to be able to put food on the table. So that tells you that the headspace of the people in the story of Bahar, in the story of Shemitah, are very engaged in the so-called reality of this world. And then it gets worse. And then, as Rashi points out, the Torah presents us with a whole series of evolving situations, each one that gets worse than the other. It's one level of descent, and the next level of descent, as Chazal tells that there's a section of Parashas Bahar that talks about the devolution of a human being. Firstly, when a person does what they shouldn't do, contrary to what Hashem wants. And then and then a person gets worse and worse until they hit rock bottom, which is where a person, a Jewish person, sells themselves as a slave to a non-Jewish person, which is definitely rock bottom, and it can get even worse. He sells himself to what is considered a euphemistic way of referring to serving idolatry. Not that he would serve idolatry. Rashi tells us that he sells himself to an organization that represents idolatry to service them, whatever the service is, might make food for them, etc. And when a person gets to that low state spiritually, the Torah understands that they might start to think, person might think, look, this is where I live. This is what the people around me do. They serve idols. They are promiscuous. They don't keep Shabbos. Maybe the person thinks they should be like them. So it's interesting that Bahara firstly talks about people who are completely caught up in the perspective of nature without recognition that Hashem runs the world. All the way down, that's what they have questions about Shemitah, all the way down to the person who has lost any sense of, of Judaism. They, they think they should behave like everybody else. That's on the one extreme of the parasha. On the other extreme, and not only is it an extreme, but it is the name which is supposed to represent what the parish is all about. The whole story of all of these things is put into a parish that is called a mountain, which is a place that is tall and high. And in this case, it's Harasina, which is Mekoi Matan Torah. 
not any ordinary mountain. It's a place where the Torah was given. And we know that when the Torah was given, the Jewish people were at the most incredible spiritual height. They were completely removed from the reality of this world. Even more than they were for the other 40 years that they were in the desert, where anyway they were removed from the world. They didn't have to earn a living. They didn't have to worry about protection, etc. It's the exact opposite of living in a, so to speak, ordinary land where you actually have to work for a living. So how do you handle this paradox? How could it be that you've got this immense spiritual experience of Bahar Sinai, which is the name that's supposed to represent the entire parasha, and the content of the parasha talks about somebody whose spiritual wheels have come off. So Habir Bozeh, the first layer of explanation is Shehiyan and Senes. That's exactly why. The purpose of giving the Torah was not that the Jews should then have to remain plugged into Har Sinai for the rest of their lives. The intention was never that our engagement with Torah should be in a way that we detach from the ordinary day-to-day experiences of life. But exactly the contrary. The purpose of giving the Torah was she consulates that they should arrive in a land where they would settle. The intention was that we should be in an environment that creates the possibility of a terrible decline. But the point is that Bahar Sinai and the Torah that was given at Sinai gives us the koyach not to dissolve into our environment, but on the contrary, to overcome the environment and to control the natural order and to uplift it. Even though, as this parasha attests, when you live in that dark environment of the natural order, you could have the kind of doubts where the person will say, well, what are we going to eat during the Shemitah year? Because we know that we're not supposed to rely on miracles. In spite of that, the Torah still empowers us to be able to take control of the natural environment in which we live. Add to the extent where they give so much brocha in the sixth year that they have way more food than they will need. And that happens. Even before Shemitah begins, the person can actually see the brocha in hand. Enough food for the sixth year, the whole Shemitah year, and as long as it will take for the new produce of the, of the year following the Shemitah to actually come online. And even when you talk about the person who is sold, or sells themselves to a non-Jewish person, where the Torah says, well, this person sold themselves to the non-Jewish master, so they actually have responsibilities to that master. And the person takes that so seriously that he starts to think, well, you know, he's my boss, he's my master. Maybe I should behave like him. The Torah tells you he shouldn't do it. In this context, where the Torah talks about the possibility that somebody could sink to that low level, the Torah says, but don't go there because nobody should ever and nobody can ever have power over us. So what's the theme of Bahar? Here we present you with a worst-case scenario and the reassurance that within the Torah you have the wherewithal not to get sucked into it and in fact to master the environment.
It's the same kind of message that Rabbi Shimon wants to tell us in this Mishnah about Gimel Kisorim Hein Goimer, that there are three crowns. And the ultimate crown is that of a good name. Where the Mephoshim tell us what is the crown of a good name. It's the good name that a person gets by doing my symptom practical good deeds in the world. Now, what this is fascinating because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was one of those unique individuals whose full time occupation, literally 24 7, was absolutely immersion in Torah learning. That was his profession. To the extent that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his immediate circle of colleagues are the bar of Torah, people who are completely invested in Torah learning. And yet it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who represents the ultimate state of engagement in Torah. He's the one who says, It doesn't matter how great it is to learn Torah. And we're not just talking generally about the greatness of Torah. We're talking about the crown of Torah, which is That means where a person engages with Torah in the most perfect way, as Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai did, full-time occupation of Torah. Still, Har Sinai, when you translate that into action in the physical world, that outdoes the greatness of the learning. Because the goal and the purpose of Torah is to translate it into actions that affect our world. That's the theme. Bahar Sinai has to translate into Eretz Neishavis, that you don't have issues with Shemitah and you never consider that a non-Jewish person has power over you. The Keser Torah has to translate into Keser Shem of how you impact the world, which is a beautiful teaching, but it raises a big question. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the one who teaches this? It needs to be explained. It would make sense if you're talking about most of us who don't have the full-time occupation of Torah. Our primary fixation is not on Torah. There was a debate between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Shimon about whether it's feasible to have full-time learning. Many people followed the guidance of Rabbi Shmuel to also work to earn a living, and it was sustainable. And those who tried to follow Rabbi Shimon example of Torah, it wasn't sustainable. So the majority of people are not engaged full-time in Torah, and therefore they belong to the class of people who are primarily focused on good deeds. So that would make sense. Move on. When you're talking to that crowd, 99% of the population, because the Torah for them is a part-time interest and their good deeds are their primary focus so it makes sense for those people overrides but how does it make any sense to say when you talk about Rabbi Shimon Bar himself where his full time focus and occupation and investment of every fiber of his being is in Torah and he's a student of Rabbi Akiva who said that when there's a debate between action and learning learning is primary how does he say, How does he suggest that the crown of a good name, which is associated with the deeds we do in the physical world, should outdo the crown of, a, of Torah itself? It doesn't make sense coming from him or for him in his reality. 
והגם שמובן שגם לפי רשבי אין די בתורה לבדו, of course רבי שמעון בר יוחוי would never suggest that you could learn Torah in isolation. ויש הכרח גם במייסים טבעים, because you have to practically do מצווה as well. וסרם איזוי, not only do you have to do מצווה, but as קלושן הירושלמי, as the Yerushalmi puts it, ולא אם מוידי רבי שמעון בר יוחוי שמפסיק עם מילים ודעתו לעשי סוכה וכולי. does רבי שמעון בר יוחוי not agree that you pause your Torah learning in order to build a סוכה? what does he think? that you're going to learn Torah and not do the מצווה of סוכה? so we know that you have to do מצווה, even according to רבי שמעון בר יוחוי. הרי לכאירה פירוש הדבר אינו לאלה שגם מי שתירוסם לא עושה עושה שיחסו לחס ושלום למעשים טובים. So that would imply, yes, that the person who is full-time Torah learning must make sure that they don't miss out the opportunity to do key mitzvahs. וכשם שגמרי עובדים טובים מחויובים ללמוד תירה. And this would be exactly the same as the person who is primarily engaged with good deeds also has to learn Torah. At least one section in the morning, one section in the evening. But it doesn't have to learn full time. So we'd get it in the same way as you and I have to learn Torah, so Rabbi Shemrei has to do mitzvahs. But how do you explain the words that he uses? Even a person who is full time Torah, he's got the crown, the highest level of Torah. For that person, the kest of the crown of good deeds is going to over, uh, overtake the crown of Torah learning. How does that make any sense? So let's try and answer it. Perhaps we could answer. Let's go back to the quotation that the Yerushalmi made that obviously Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi would agree that you pause Torah learning in order to have a sukkah. Because after the Gemara poses that question, do you not think that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi would agree that you stop your learning in order to build a sukkah? Then says something else. It continues as follows. Does Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai not agree with the principle that the person who learns Torah in order to do deeds is the ultimate way to learn Torah? And it goes to the extent, and if a person learns Torah without an intention to translate it into action, it would have been better for him not to be created. Yerushalmi is telling us, it's pretty clear, the fact that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi would agree. You stop Torah learning in order to build a sukkah. It's not just because in addition to learning Torah, you also have to do mitzvahs. It's deeper. That is the purpose why we learn Torah. That you learn in order to apply to the extent that Yerushalmi says anybody who doesn't have that attitude should rather not have been created. So now that we appreciate that doing mitzvahs is the ultimate goal and purpose of learning Torah, that proves then obviously it's more important, right? Because the one leads to the other. You lead to your end goal. You lead to your ultimate state. If Torah learning is to lead to mitzvahs, that tells you mitzvahs are higher and are the ultimate state. So we thought perhaps that would be a good explanation, but the truth is logic says it exactly the other way around. When a person's learning Torah, and they have to stop, let's say, to build their sukkah, that doesn't necessarily tell us that the mitzvah is greater than Torah. 
In fact, it tells us why is it necessary to stop because a person's Torah learning is only the way that the learning should be when it translates into a mitzvah. So by stopping for the mitzvah, it's not because the mitzvah overpowers the Torah learning. It's because the mitzvah helps to complete the Torah learning. Because if the learning does not translate into action, the learning is weak. As the Rebbe explains in a different sicha, listen to what the Alter Rebbe says in the laws of Talmud Torah. There the Alter Rebbe is talking about why is it that if there's a mitzvah that no other person can do, then we have to stop learning Torah in order to do that mitzvah, says the Alter Rebbe. That is the purpose of being human, of being a Jewish human. Like the Chachamim used this expression, what is the ultimate purpose of wisdom? Teshuva umay simtoven, that it translates into teshuva and good deeds. If the person would not pause their Torah learning to do the mitzvah that nobody else can do on their behalf, then it would be the kind of learning that wasn't attached to translation into practice. And that tells us, showing us here, the reason you have to stop learning, to fulfill the mitzvah, because the greatest state of wisdom is when it translates into mitzvahs. Therefore, the, the Alter Rebbe says, and if the person doesn't stop to do the mitzvah, that is an indicator that his learning wasn't the way it should have been. Because if he won't stop his Torah learning in order to do this mitzvah, that cannot be replaced by anybody else. Then it doesn't just mean, okay, now you've lost the chance to do this mitzvah, which is really important, as we originally thought. Rather, the Altair is telling us that would be an indicator that the learning wasn't proper. Therefore, it emerges. That what is the, what is the expression of Chazal teaching us? That the ultimate state of perfect wisdom is when it has a practical application. But never to suggest that the mitzvah is greater or supersedes Torah. So we're back to our original question. When you consider that really the value of doing a mitzvah is to ensure that our Torah learning was proper, why then would Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi, who's Torosoy Umnosoy, who is Keser Torah, the ultimate engagement in Torah learning, who obviously wants to fulfill Torah mitzvahs in the best way possible? So, to fulfill Torah in the best way possible, you need the mitzvahs. Why would he say that Keser Shemtov supersedes Keser Torah? Abir Bozer, the explanation is magnificent. As we touched on at the beginning of the Sikha, the purpose of creation is that we should turn our physical world into the place that accommodates absolute godliness. So therefore move on. Every single element of what we do to serve Hashem has to all center on and achieve this goal of transforming our world into Hashem's home. 
Not only when you do a mitzvah with a physical thing, where it's obvious you're taking a physical thing and you're using it to serve Hashem, so you're making dira b'tachtoinim. And a gamli But even when you study Torah, and even when you're studying Torah as your full-time absolute occupation, and it's the kind of person who's learning Torah in a way that they are completely divested from the physical world. The purpose and goal and orientation of that learning must still be to transform the world into a place of godliness. Now, how is that possible? So one expression goes like this. We know that there's a, an axiom that a prisoner cannot free himself. But so therefore, if the prisoner can't free himself, he needs help from the outside. So if we took the whole Jewish world and we put the whole Jewish world into the physical space and told the Jewish world to release themselves from the physical space by transforming physical items into holy items, it would not be possible. None of us would have the capacity being inside the world to lift the world that we're in. So somewhere in the Jewish world, there has to be some enclave of people who are not stuck in the world. They're outside of the prison and therefore can help us escape. And that's not only a small enclave of people, but every one of us, a small part of our lives. So what empowers us to be able to step back from the world even when we're completely invested in the world? We're empowered by those individuals who are full-time in learning to be able to do this. Their job is Their job is not to run away from the community, lock themselves up and learn Torah. Their job is to influence each of us to have some Torah in our lives. Even those of us who are experts in Mitzvahs, practical application. The influence over us should be that during those times we engage in learning Torah, even if it's just a short study in the morning and a short study in the evening, the timing is not the thing. The chap is that when we learn Torah, it should be with the same investment. Like the person who has nothing outside of Torah. No distraction, no anxiety, no time frame or limits. When we're in the Torah, we should be in the Torah like Rabbi Shemim Bar Yochoi. Now how's this going to work? How are we going to get the person who is totally in the world of Torah? How are we going to get them to step out and touch us and inspire us? To be dedicated to having a positive influence on us. They would prefer not to have anything to do with anybody else because the less disturbance, the better. It wouldn't be enough to schlep them out of their room and have them engage with us. And in those moments of engagement, they would have the intention that they're going to help us to be so invested in our learning in the time when we learn. 
because if that was the approach, seeing us as somebody who is consistently all the time engaged without pause in Torah learning, maybe he'll never be able to pull himself away from the book. Maybe he'll never get to a point where he can allow himself to engage with ordinary folk like us who are not totally invested in Torah. So it might be an ideal, which you'll keep pushing off. We'll get there, because right now I'm learning. Therefore, while the person's sitting in his private space, learning with complete devotion, his mind has to be on this kavona of touching others and engaging others. Because the goal of his learning is to impact the world, even another person's experience, that they should also feel and experience absolute dedication to Torah in the pockets of learning that they do. This is quite similar to the very well-known story of Rabbi Akiva and why he was greater than his three colleagues who went with him into paradise, into the great spiritual realms. The Gemara tells us he entered and therefore he left in peace. Unlike his colleagues who entered paradise and did not come out healthy. How was Rabbi Akiva able to emerge from the experience whole and wholesome? Because the approach that he took when he entered was a wholesome approach. When he went into the spiritual realm, which is represented by the concept we call in Hasidus Ratsoi, the yearning to escape the material in order to engage with Hashem. So when he went in, he went in with a sense of peace, meaning he had a balance of this great out of body experience is only designed to enhance the show of the engagement I'll have back in the world. And therefore, he came out again in peace. Similar concept. The whole reason the Torah person is disengaged from the world is to be able to have an impact on the world. And with, when that's in a person's mind, then they can, when the need arises, they can actually engage. So let's go back to what the Yerushalmi said before. About somebody like Rabbi Shimon Bayuchoi pausing the Torah learning for various reasons. That even if a person is completely engaged full time in Torah learning, they have to sometimes pause to do a mitzvah. What did the Yerushalmi say? Does Rabbi Shimon Bayuchoi not agree? That you pause Torah to make a sukkah. Then it goes further. Does Rabbi by not agree that the whole purpose of learning is to translate into action? What's the Yerushalmi telling us? The Yerushalmi is not only telling us that, look, practically, as much as Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yuchoy was completely engaged in Torah learning, practically he did take the pauses that he needed in order to do the mitzvahs that were required. And it wasn't even just that Yerushalmi wants us to know that the goal of learning is to translate the learning into practice. The Yerushalmi is telling us this deep principle we're learning now. The nature of the learning Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi and Co. did is to get to engage the world, to get to do. In the thick of the learning itself, it should be 
clear or murugosh and it should be felt. Why am I learning to do? Because if I don't have that consciousness, then if I don't have that awareness, it's quite likely I won't stop when I'm supposed to stop in order to impact the world. The only thing is this raises another question. When we learn Torah, we're not full-time Torah people. And even if we spend hours on learning Torah, it's not the investment in Torah learning of Torah. We're not completely removed from the realities of this world. We understand what a coffee is. We understand what a, what, what a nice piece of clothing is. So then, then it's possible to understand how in our experience, while we're learning, we could be entertaining thoughts about how we're going to translate this into the world out there, how we're going to touch another person, because that really is our stomping ground. That's really where we live. But let's talk about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi, an individual whose full-time, absolute obsession is Torah. How is it possible? When he's completely invested on Torah and you could explode a bomb next to him, he won't even hear it. How is it possible? How is he going to have the headspace at that point to be thinking, now how am I going to use this as a means to inspire the person who, while I'm learning, is busy working his field? It's, a, it's an absolute contradiction. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi's story will actually help us to understand this, as we'll see. Let's first explain the principle and then see how it played out in Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi's life. The explanation is, this concept of Ratzai, which is the person looking to escape the shackles of this world so that he could have a deeper godly experience, on the one hand. And the concept of that you've got to be grounded. You've got to engage the world. The fact that they're in contradiction is by virtue of the fact that we're talking about created beings who can either be running from the world or investing in the world. They can't do both. Or anything that exists within what we call the structural spiritual system that Hashem uses for creation where everything has its place. But when a Jew transcends any of those boundaries and rules, to put it simply, where the Jew has absolute submission to Hashem, it's got nothing to do with them, it's purely what does they wish to want from me, because I'll do everything as they wish to expect. So therefore, whether he's practically in the rotsoi elevated state or the shoiv engaged state, it doesn't make a difference. He's in the same fundamental position. Fundamental position. Total submission to Hashem. If Hashem wants me there, I'm there. If he wants me here, I'm here. Oi dugma, very interesting example that the Rebbe adds. We use the expression that a person's emissary is like them. Or the expression is eved melech melech that the person who is in the king's employ is royalty. Now that is, that's regardless of whether the task that they're doing is something that is suitable to the king, that's why they're royalty, 
Or if they're doing something which is actually part of their world and their reality, on behalf of the king, on behalf of the Meshalech, makes no difference. We don't grade a person how big a shliach they are depending on which kind of shliachas they were given. The person is a shliach. And then, of course, the cherry on top is, when you look at life through the perspective of Hashem's essence, the Ebishter's essence accommodates absolute paradox. Not only can you go in either direction that the king wants you to go, you can actually do them both simultaneously. That translates into this. If a person engages in full-time learning, why? Because they love learning. They cannot accommodate while they're learning the possibility of stepping out of the learning to help somebody else or to do what Abisha wants in this world because they love learning and that's their reality. But when a person learns to why? Because that's what the Abishta wants from us. And what does Abishta want? That we should be able to transform this world into his home. And learning Torah is part of how we do that. Such a person can accommodate the absolute paradox. You could have a scenario where the person is absolutely immersed in the Torah learning without distraction. And simultaneously, at the same time, he'd be absolutely conscious and aware, why am I learning Torah? In order to facilitate opportunities for me to step out of my great, wondrous space where I live, to touch and influence and inspire other people. And that is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi's story. I'm sure we all know this Gemara that tells us after 12 years hiding from the Romans in a cave and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi eventually came out and he saw what were people doing plowing their fields, planting things. Omar, he was astonished and he said they're giving up on eternal life for temporary, transient life. And he was looking around with this critical eye, and therefore, wherever he and his son looked, everybody was immediately consumed with a fire. So what did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai do? Went back in the cave. And only after another year, the 13th year in the cave, then he came out, then if there was a scenario where his son Rabbi Elazar was perhaps too critical and would cause damage to an individual by his, just his glance, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was not only able to tolerate their behavior, but to heal them from Rabbi Elazar's criticism. And then he said, The world can subsist on you and I. Now, what was he mean? What did he mean by that? So the Mephoshim tell us, he was saying, all the Torah learning, all those who engage in Torah, they can depend on us. He wasn't insinuating that as long as the two of them study Torah, nobody else would have to learn Torah. God forbid to say such a thing. And what he was saying is, as long as the two of them remain completely absorbed in their Torah learning, they have to retain their focus. It has to be good for the world. The purpose of our learning has to be for the oilam, for the world, to impact, to change the world, to keep the world sound and turn it into a place that's holy. 
Shlomish Hadov and is gam bechiluk ben yud beis the gimel shoni. Can even say that this is alluded to in the fact that there is a difference between being in the cave for twelve years and then the thirteenth year because mispar yud beis the number twelve. Represents the structured, orderly society that Hashem created in the spiritual and physical realms. For example, you'd base Hashem twelve months. You'd base Gvur Alachsim the twelve boundaries of any three-dimensional space. And therefore, the number thirteen would represent stepping beyond those structures. As long as somebody is still operating within the realm that is defined by boundaries represented by the number 12, 12 years in the cave. There, the yearning to escape the world and the intention to change the world contradicts. So then, from that perspective, you say, you got to choose. Either you go for eternal life or you go for this nonsense. I don't understand why people are going for the nonsense. There can be no bridge between the transient physical life and the ultimate holy life. It's like impossible to imagine that those who engage with the dirting their hands and plowing and sowing, that they should be the same people who actually care about the next world and, and, and something that's eternal and meaningful. That's living in the 12 dimensional reality. Only after Abishim went back into the cave and transcended the boundaries of Seydesh Tashlis by entering what is represented by the number 13. Then, at that point, Rabbi Shimon starts to heal the world. Not a Seder where he extracted himself from the world, locked himself away, but he actually started to heal the world which is fundamentally ill. The Keser Torah translates into the Keser Shem Tov. The great element of Torah starts to impact and influence and elevate the world. That explains the Mishnah. What does he say? The crown of a good name elevates on top of the other crowns. What are we saying on a deeper level? We're talking about the Maisim Toivim as they are expressed in the experience of learning Torah as we've discussed. To dedicate ourselves to others. The idea of taking those who are absolutely caught up in the world of Torah and stepping beyond that to trust, to, to touch, and to influence and to inspire others. That's why we say that the crown of the good name supersedes the other two crowns. When a person, in addition to his own Torah learning, represented by Kesot Torah, the so-called Torah Nasa, when in addition to that, if he adds over and above that also the crown of the good name through good deeds, which means that he transforms the Kesar Torah from being just an isolated experience of Torah learning into an experience of Kesar Shem Tov because the orientation is to impact the world. With dedication to others. Then you could say that the entire experience is elevated. Because now the Torah learning is achieving what Torah learning is supposed to achieve. It's being elevated to its ultimate purpose.
And then about the remes, the shloim, there's a beautiful uh, little remes we can put in over here. That's why when they put together the Mishnayas, Pirke Ovis, this Mishnah landed up being Mishnah 13. The Ramishin Nifal to hint at the fact that when did Rabbi Shimon by Yochoi reach that point that al that the sorry that al that the focus on <coughs> on touching and elevating the world rose elevated all the different elements of Torah etc. After he was in the cave for 13 years, when he reached the 13th level, so therefore it's the 13th Mishnah. And that all comes back to the message of Lag Boimer. The Zohar tells us that on Lag Boimer, some amazing things happened. The original Lag Boimer, the day of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi's passing. On the day of his passing, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi revealed to his students. Besides the fact that Rabbi Shimon Bar himself reached the absolute heights of the secrets of Torah, but he shared with his students holy concepts that he had never before unveiled. By the way, <coughs> that fits very much with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi's general approach to Pnimir Satayra. Sha'ara Tanoim, there were many other Tanoim at that time, Sha'oskabirazitayra. All the Tanoim engaged in the secrets of Torah and the premise of Torah. But Loikilusatayra, they didn't share that information with others. Synthesized the revealed and hidden parts of the Torah. That means that Rabbi Shimba Yochoi took those subjects which are secret not because they're hidden from us, but because they are inherently beyond the scope of experience of this world. And he made them experience in this world. He revealed them in this world. And that is, in a sense, on a higher level, like bridging the transient world of the physical with the Eternal world, world of, of holiness. This idea of bringing together a reality and a life that is completely beyond our world into the reality of the life in this world. Is the message of Parashas Behar. Because for Parashas Eimudgosh, this parasha emphasizes even when we are very involved in the land growing, producing, bound by the laws of nature. We are connected with and we synthesize the reality of Har Sinai, which is completely beyond the natural order. More specifically, the conversation about how to behave in the real world, so to speak, is Dafka taught in the parasha called Har Sinai. To tell us that when we complete the intention for which the Torah was given at Har Sinai, that's when we can really live in this world as we're supposed to. And this is something you will notice at the beginning of the parasha. The beginning of the parasha incorporates a summary in a sense, or the essence of the whole parasha. And then again, it's reiterated at the conclusion of the parasha, as we know in halacha, that everything is determined by how you conclude it. 
Let's spell that out. The starting area of the parasha is about the mitzvah Shemitah. The greatness of Shemitah is that even that person who is totally engaged in working the earth to the extent the Torah gives that person the acknowledgement that they're going to ask, how am I going to survive in the year of Shemitah? Nevertheless, in spite of the doubts, they'll still keep Shemitah. And the idea is, it's a year where the person has the opportunity, and they use that opportunity to completely dedicate themselves to what is represented by Bahar Sinai, without any anxiety, which is similar to the person who does that full time, totally invested in Torah learning. And even more subtly, the person doesn't just sit and learn Torah, but they feel a sensitivity to the name of Hashem that is beyond this world. It is a time of Shabbos to Hashem, which is completely beyond nature. That's the beginning of the parish. We said that the parasha grows in in the extreme, you know, how extreme the examples are. So the end of the parasha takes it even further. Even when you land up in a scenario where a Jewish person allows themselves to be sold to a non-Jewish owner as a slave. In terms of a person slipping into the depths of this world, this is about as deep as you could go, as bad as it could get. This is a person whose life is now beholden to a non-Jewish person, a pagan. To the extent that the Torah acknowledges that this person might believe that he could be like that pagan. The Torah addresses that and says, Not only is there a warning, don't ever get there. Which is a reminder that actually nobody has any power over us to interfere with our observance of Torah mitzvahs. The Pasuk says, Ani Hashem, in their context, I am Hashem, which is always translated by Rashi as Nemon Lashalim Schar, you can trust me that I will reward you for being as you should. In other words, Inyan Schar Mitzvah Moira, when you get this, the reward for a mitzvah, that indicates that means that whatever divine energy a person brought into this world by the mitzvah that they did is something the person actually feels and experiences. How do I know? Because good things are happening to me in my life for having done that mitzvah. That means that even the Jew who sunk so low and sold themselves to a pagan can at any time lift himself beyond being that slave and at any time can reconnect to Ani Havaya totally beyond nature. And that is the power of what it is to be Jewish. And so the message for us is, no matter how engaged we are in the physical world, it should all be guided by the teaching of Torah. When we learn Torah, we should invest completely without distraction. And that way we can transform our world into a place of divine energy and bracha.